HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Takiko Taima, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Overdose in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program, my cool guests. And my guest today is Ryunosuke Jesse Matsuka, who is a co-owner and a GM for Sen Japanese Restaurant in Sag Harbor, Long Island, and a certified Japanese sake sommelier. And Jesse's father was a top-ranked sumo wrestler, and his mother was an artist known for her beautiful paintings and drawings of sumo wrestlers. So today we will talk about Jesse's unique family background and his um, insight into Japanese culture and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japanese is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on Spotify as well as a podcast. Uh, so please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. We, you can email us at japaneseheritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Now let's start our conversation with Yunosuke uh, Jesse Matsuka. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to Japanese. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so first of all, uh, where you were born and uh, uh, where did you grow up? So I was born uh, right here in, in New York, actually in New York City. Um, where I was actually just a couple houses down from the James Beard house. Wow. Um, so West Village. Yes. Wow. Um, my, my father actually tells me stories of cooking for Mr. Beard. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. And uh, 
the way he puts it was always that he's like, oh, do you remember James Beard? It's like, oh, yes, a big fat man. <laughs> he likes my food. I'm like, yes. I don't know if he wants to be known as the big fat man, but he's like, yes, big man. He eats a lot of my food. I'm like, mm. oh, that's great. So, wow. so we really have to dig into that part yes, later. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Um, okay, so um, so your father mm-hmm. is from Japan yes. and uh, was a well-known sumo wrestler. And uh, so maybe you can tell us about how strong and famous he was. Sure, sure. So my father was in the high division of sumo wrestlers, which is called Makauchi, mm. which is the higher division. And of the higher division, he was Mai Gashira, Nana Mai Me, mm. which is, I mean, pretty on the higher end of, of uh, levels in sumo. Mm. So at that point, you start to really make good money, mm. you're pretty famous, um, and all the things that come along with it. Right. Yeah, so this Makuchi is uh, there like five ranks and just all those complicated, very competitive um, ranking. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Makushita, that's like another six ranking. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to get to that level. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. So, and then he, um, he retired in 1979, mm-hmm. right? So, so then, and also, um, so your mother, uh, she was super interesting. Um, so she's from New York, mm-hmm. but... Um, she was really in Japan, well-recognized artist. Yes. Uh, so she, as an artist, uh, had, she was a uh, fashion illustrator for Vogue mm. um, and had a project to bring her to Japan for, it was a very short term. I think it was only about like six months. And uh, she ended up living in Japan for 37 years. <laughs> so it went from six months to 37 mm. years. So ha- what happened in that? <laughs> well, uh, to, to put it in a very nice way, she fell in love with sumo wrestlers. Um, but, you know, to, to a lot of people, they're like, okay, so what, what happened? She just saw it on TV and she fell in love with, you know, half-naked big guys fighting. <laughs> you know, she's like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. Yeah, one thing I want to point out, though, is people th- think of sumo wrestlers as fat, but it's not. It's a coded with fat sometimes, but mostly massive muscles. Muscles, yes. Now, it, it is amazing. Not only is it muscle, but they're limber like ballerinas. So mm. they can actually do the splits and lift their legs all the way above their head. Um, and they have to be like that. They have to be limber enough to maneuver a three to four to sometimes 700 pound man attacking them. Mm. Right. Wow. And it's the whole spiritual concentration required. Yes, right. yes. Okay. So, um, but it's interesting, like Borg illustrator to Sumo. Um, painter. Yes, yes. So she she had stayed um, and uh, actually given up an opportunity. She was before she left to Japan. She was offered to be the uh, illustrator for the Watergate mm. uh, trials, and um, she had said, "Don't worry about it. I'll be back uh, <laughs> in January." And then in February, the trials were supposed to start, and she was the representing artist. Wow. Um, so she gave up that. For uh, for her life in Japan, I think she made the right decision. She did. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. <laughs> wow. So um, yeah, but actually, um, I looked up your mother's name in mm-hmm. Japanese, mm-hmm. and people were looking for her. Yes, Where is she. And then yeah, there's some somebody found uh, your mother's website, mm-hmm. and that she's there and a very well known person. Yes, I mean you know it was very very big news for not only a foreigner um 
you know, to, to be painting and drawing sum wrestlers, but then to marry one, mm. <laughs> um, you know, and then have children. So right. it was, it was front page news when, uh, the engagement, uh, was announced mm. between my father and my mother. Right. Yes. Well, because that was a time there's no non-Japanese small wrestlers existed even. Well, there, there, I mean, uh, the Takamiyama from Hawaii. Yes. That, yeah. That's, that's only beginning. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. His name was, uh, Jesse. Ah, yeah, that's yes, right. That's yes, right. as well. <laughs> and everyone said, wait, were you named after Takamayama? And I said, no, 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 no. That's just the name that my mother always mm. wanted. Okay. <laughs> right. But, uh, well, I'm, I'm really curious about your mother's, you know, interesting insight into smoke. Mm-hmm. So, and I saw her paintings and the drawings. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Fascinating. Yeah. As an artist, I mean... To be opened up to this world in Japan of sumo, but it wasn't actually not only sumo, but it was the world of kabuki, the mm. Japanese uh, traditional theater right. that she fell in love with too. So she did the exact same thing between being in the backstage and really seeing the people behind this art, whether mm. it was the art of sumo or the art of kabuki. Um, it was just so fascinating to her that she needed to give up everything that she had in the States and moved to Japan to really take it on. Mm, yeah. Right. So that's the magic of Japanese traditional performers. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, so when you're born, you were born in here. Yes. And then you went to Japan? At two years old. Okay. Um, we had moved to Japan and I stayed in Japan from two to 12. Mm. And then moved back to the States where we moved to Hawaii. Okay. Yes. Okay, so uh, so when your father retired, he came to the States? Yes, so my father had retired because he had gotten into a very bad injury. Mm. Um, the dohyo, which is the sumo uh, ring, mm-hmm. is about five feet uh, high, mm-hmm. and it's made out of clay. Mm. And there's no, like... Uh, there's no supports around the ring. Mm, right. So if you fall off, you fall five feet down. Mm. And um, that's another reason why the sumo wrestlers need to be very limber. Mm. Um, and so my father had fallen off one leg on the ring, one leg off the ring, Oof. in the splits position, which was perfectly fine. He could do that. Mm. The only issue was is that his opponent had fell on top of him oh, while in that position. <laughs> and he kind of like snapped Right. Like a scissors wow. the other way. Right. <laughs> so yeah. uh, in doing so, he had ripped his uh, whole hamstring in his right leg, mm. which had ripped between his knee and then went up into his buttocks area. Wow. Um, so that was a major, major injury, mm. uh, which he actually couldn't walk. Uh, the doctors told him that he would never walk again. Wow. Um, and he, you know, being the stubborn Japanese man that he was, he, uh, he trained and he got himself... Uh, back to where he could not only walk, mm. but he got back into sumo. Mm. Um, you know, it was unfortunate because he didn't go for surgery mm. because he felt embarrassed to go to surgery. Oh, wow. I know. It's a very crazy story. My mother had been very upset with him to just go get surgery, mm. get it reattached. Um, and ultimately, uh, through atrophy, the muscle had died off, mm. so he just needed to train, and he he used more of his left leg, Ooh. and he got back into sumo, and he got back up to his rank, mm. but he could never surpass that rank. Mm. Um, and there's a rule, a law in sumo, 
stating that if you are not the grand champion, you cannot marry. Mm. So it's the it's really the focus of if you don't make it to the top, you cannot be uh, distracted by love. Mm. And it's it's very very intense. Wow. Um, and so for my father, he had said, "Well, you know, I have this <laughs> amazing girl, my girlfriend, who is my mother, Lynn." He's like, well, I could retire and marry mm. her because what else am I going to do? I can't, I can't surpass right. this point. Right. And then considering that injury, it's almost impossible to get to the top. And uh, exactly. I mean, he, it's amazing that he even got to where he was mm. at Maigashira. Right. Um, but he can never surpass that point. Yeah. Um, and that was where they made the decision to, uh, for him to retire and then to do... A catering business mm. because in sumo you're trained to fight um, and you're really good at cooking because you have to eat a lot <laughs> and you're really good at sleeping mm. so when you retire from wrestling there's no industry in sleeping <laughs> so what's left but to cook right. so a lot of retired sumo wrestlers get into the restaurant industry mm. uh, which my father had um, gone to work in the tsukiji fish market mm. uh one of a retired sumo wrestler had opened up a sushi bar inside the uh fish market and he went to go and train with him for about a year mm. a little bit less than a year nice and um he took those kind of that all that knowledge and he brought it to new york city mm. they had uh, started the iwatura catering company mm. um, and did very very well Right. Uh, out here. Okay, so let's. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Yes. So, so then, you know. By the way, you, the sumo wrestlers' food. It's mm. not just like cooking for the sake of cooking and feeding people. It's, it's really like you have to make a good food, right? Yes. And it's a high ranking. Everybody took turn when you were younger, and at the low rank, you did a hard work cooking good food. So your demand, um, you have a higher demand from the top to the higher-ranking people. <laughs> yes. So in, in sumo, I mean, one of the biggest things everyone sees sumo wrestlers as very big people. Um, and yes, it's a lot of training, but you, in order to put on that weight, they need to constantly eat very, very large meals. And what they'll do is they'll go to sleep right after they eat. Mm. And that slows down their metabolism. Mm. And therefore, it kind of, they, they force their body to put on that weight. But in terms of the food... Um, all the they call hea, um, mm. where the sumo wrestlers uh, kind of board. Um, they're called stables. Um, these stables, people of the town feel so proud to be able to donate or offer their products to that hea, mm. um, and therefore whatever it's the bakery the meat person, the produce person, the farmer, they all want to give their products because when their sumo wrestler of their town wins, they get to tell everyone, oh, it's because of my vegetables <laughs> that, you know, so-and-so is winning. Right. Um, so I've seen like trucks back up and unload so much meat and noodles and rice and all these things. So most of them don't need to buy any food. Mm. They're, they're given food. Um, by the local people, wow. but um, it's a it's a tradition of constant eating, mm. and constant eating needs constant cooking. Right. right, and it's such a community 
Hindi. Sa commune, I'm also like, you know, your noodle, when I won, that was like on my arm. It's kind of like very funny, but yeah, that's the culture. It is. It is. Mm. I had the experience of one summer, I think, yeah, I was 11 years old. Um, and uh, I worked in Akibono's, actually at, at Takamimiya, um, at Jesse's hair mm-hmm. um, as a tsukebito mm. uh, for one summer. That's cute. It's like a caretaker or like a yeah, so I assistant. Was, um, I mean, I'm going to say as far as to say slave. <laughs> I, was, I was whatever they told me to do, I had to do. You know, it was just like, go clean that, go cook that, go fold that, go do this, go do that kind of thing. And it's intense. It was so intense. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the most, <laughs> the most intense thing was just sleeping in the same room as 40 sumo wrestlers all snoring at the <laughs> same time. I mean, the whole room shook. And uh, yeah, there was no sleeping for the whole summer I was there. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. It was invigorating. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I, I gave up at the end of the summer calling, uh, my mother and I even, you know, my father had supported me mm. saying that if you want to get into this, I'll support you, but I'll also tell you of, you know, how hard it was mm. and, you know, to get up to where I was. Right. So, so when you grew up, you are, you know, even if your father retired, you're surrounded by the small wrestler culture, like small beer people. Yes. Yeah, so in going back to Japan at two, my mother had stayed in the world of sumo painting, um, them going to all of the bashos, uh, which are the tournaments. Mm. Excuse me. And I was going to to the basho, to the tournaments with her. Mm. And it would, I mean, she would be busy. So I would actually hang out in the dressing rooms mm. uh, with all of these people, whether it was like Chiyo no Fuji, which is one of the most famous uh, top-ranking yokozunas, right. um, and Akebono, Musashimaru, all of these guys <laughs> were kind of, we would hang out mm. um, while they were just kind of waiting for their fight to come up. Right. Um, so, wow. yeah, I, I had, you know, th- thankfully, because of my mother and my father, I had this experience that really not even, it's, it's a rarity for mm. Japanese people to have right. that kind of experience. Of course. It's almost like, a, you know, in the whole back room of Oscar or something. Yes. In the sumo world. But daily, <laughs> you know. And as a kid, just running around, playing my Game Boy, right. you know. But you wanted to, did you have any idea to become a sumo wrestler by yourself? Um, not really, because my mother was very <sighs> open to, to just kind of let me do whatever I wanted. And, um, she did, I did dance, uh, Nihon Buyo, mm, uh, which Japanese is Japanese traditional dancing. Yes. Mm. So, and that was through one of the Kabuki actors, uh, sister. So, uh, you know, I, I danced with a, a national treasures, Wow. Uh, sister and and it was fantastic so i got into that world a little bit more but mm. i get, i got to hang out with the sumo wrestlers mm. so it was more serious with the dancing side but it was more fun for mm. the sumo side right yeah. so even if your assistant job skibito was hard they took care of you all like uh, you yeah <laughs> i mean you know it was <sighs> one of the hardest parts of working that summer was uh, I was in charge of laundry. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, the sumo wrestlers, they wear a obi, uh, a belt. Mm. Um, and this belt is usually made out of very thick silk. Ah. And not only is it heavy, but they don't wash it because mm. it's silk. So you have to dry clean it. You just have to throw it in a dryer and air it out. Mm. And the dry, well, the, the laundry, laundry place was about about a mile away and i had to bicycle with like 25 belts <laughs> in the front package of the bicycle the back package bicycle and around my body mm. i had to carry all of this back and forth every other day to get washed wow. and that i mean the smell <laughs> you have because it's sweaty, right? <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, it was so intense. I think that was. I think that was the turning point for me. That I was like, nope, I, I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was maybe a good thing to yes. do. <laughs> the cooking part was great. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I we would cook in the morning uh, after practice, and we cooked for the higher ranking uh, sumo wrestlers, mm. and we had to stand at attention and watch while they ate. And if there was any leftovers, that would be our breakfast. Mm. Um, most times, there was no leftovers. Right. So. so when you say us, means uh, all those tsukibito, like yes. assistant people. Yeah. Wow. So every, how many assistants per room uh, for 40 people? Um, it was all in ranks. Okay. So there's usually the higher rikishi uh, that are the makeochi. Um, and then if there's anyone above or on the higher tier, Ozeki or um, Yokozuna, which in that hea was Akibono. Mm. So Akibono was the big, big kahuna. Right. And um, he really, I mean, he had his own room. Mm. You know, he had his own building. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so right. he, we, we never really, I got to hang out with him every once in a while and I would play uh, like the Nintendo 64 mm. kind of thing uh, with him. Um, and again, I had that relationship with him because of in his younger years when my mother, I mean, this is actually later on with my mother, um, when he had first gotten into sumo, he didn't speak Japanese. Mm. He didn't really know what was going on. So my mother was actually his translator ah. and his guidance. He was his okasan. Mm. And um, it ended up that all of the sumo, uh, Hawaiian sumo wrestlers uh, were, became my brother and I's babysitter. Wow. So Akebono, Musashimaru, Konishiki, all of them at some point or sometimes all together would be our babysitters. Interesting. <laughs> yes. wow. Obviously before they became famous. Mm. That reminds me of the word om. It's like a gratitude plus kind of, um, you know, destiny. Once mm. you got that strong gratitude to someone else, you have to carry it through yes. and then just return it. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, let me just, I have so many questions about this sumo. So, food, um, you know, you cook chanko mm -hmm. nabe, right? Yes. That's the hot pot. Yes. So, chanko is the, the sumo wrestler's stew, and it's their dish. But to explain it to others, what I say um, to, to many people to try and explain it, it is the kitchen sink hot pot. <laughs> right. So everything goes into it. Uh, everything from proteins, you have fish, meat, uh, you know, you have vegetables, you have noodles, you'll do a proper dashi with fish, uh, bonito flakes and things like that. But 
you know, each hair, uh, each um, place that has uh, a stable has their own kind of thing that they like to put into it. Mm. And it's usually based on the um, oyakata, mm-hmm. um, who is the headmaster of the stable, um, or it's the yokozuna, uh, if they have a yokozuna in that um, hair, in, mm. in that uh, stable. It sounds like a almost medieval system, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it almost is. But I mean, it's, it's depending on where you go, because there was different styles. My father... Um, came from Kaskano Bea mm-hmm. um, and uh, that his Oyakata, his headmaster was actually the Dijicho uh, which is the uh, president of the Sumo Association. Mm. So he was actually the most important person in Sumo at mm. the time and so for my father to be in that stable um, you know he it was his rules all the way so not only was he the kind of the ruler of that house, but he was the ruler of the whole sumo association. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So so then um so they just so we'll go back to like, you know, each hair has a regional well, I don't know. Yeah, regional. Regional food that they enjoy. Um, you know, my, my father will put in uh, you know, his meatballs are gonna be different from the other guy's meatballs. Mm. Um, you know, some guys like a little a lot more chicken because that's the regional uh, item that they would get offered from their local uh, distributors, whether it was produce, you know, their local farmer, you know, if they had a local uh, beef farmer, mm. they would have a lot of beef and they'd, they'd be so proud of their beef mm. that their chunko would always have like beautiful beef in it. Right. right. So the hair um, actually exists surrounding the the sumo ryogoku area that's the not not no, all of them capital of ryogoku is uh, you know where the the, the the main tokyo sumo stadium mm-hmm. is in ryogoku right. and uh kasukanobea is in uh ryogoku mm. um but uh there are heads all over japan mm. okay yes um because there the tournaments for sumo are every other month and not all of them are in tokyo some mm. of them are in kyoto right um and and other places. Mm, right. So <coughs> that's why Chanko is so regional. Yes, mm, absolutely. Right. So sounds like because it's a donation-based cooking, you don't have a menu today, right? You just see what's available. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's so difficult to to put a recipe to it. Um, I was just in Japan uh, last month and I did a Chanko Nabe dinner at my friend's ryokan mm. in Niigata uh, city. And, um, you know, even though I used ingredients my, that my father would use, I really just went to the local stores and asked them what they're proud of. You know, mm. what fish are they proud of? What, what sauces are they proud of? You know, mm. what kind of miso do they like? And made it their chanko. And... It's that's what it really is, you know. It's it's a hot pot, but it's the people's hot pot, you mm. know. That's what it's really about. And um, you know, my my father would make it differently every time. Right. Yeah. In other words, I can make my own chanko, and then maybe go to bed right after small <laughs> <Smell> chanko. <laughs> yes, right. and then start to gain weight. Mm. But uh, it would take it would take a lot. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So um, so let's go back. So to your father. So your mm-hmm. father. Um, you said you became 
you know, in Tsukiji she trained and then trained, trained one year in Tsukiji at your friend's uh, sushi market mm-hmm. and uh, um, a sushi restaurant. So, so then he opened a place in Tokyo. Uh, so directly from that point, they moved to New York City mm. uh, and then started the, their catering company, which they called uh, Iwatura mm. Catering. Um, mm-hmm. My father's uh, shikona, his fighting name, is Iwatora. Mm. Um, so they called it Iwatora Catering. Mm. And um, that's a cool name, right? Iwatora means that's like a very strong. Boulder, Boulder Tiger. Right, yes. right. Very, it's a very strong name. Mm. Um, and they did very well in New York City. Um, they, they had very high end clients. Um, my, my mother was tied in with uh, the fashion industry mm. and uh, had some great friends through there. And um, I mean, I think th- there was a couple TV shows that my father had had been on uh like late night shows uh i can't really i can't remember which ones but i do remember that my mother mm. um one of her roommates uh from college years i think uh was Raul julia mm. um he, he was a fantastic actor mm. um he had passed away i think in the late 90s um but um when they went back to new york city he was doing uh, Shakespeare in the park. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he was speaking with my mother. They were going out to dinner with my father. And he was talking about how he's putting together this production. And he needed the uh, antagonist mm. position of someone very, like, scary and evil and loud. And my, fa- my mother said, well, Torah... Uh, you know, her husband, she's like, he can yell like crazy and scare everyone for miles. Um, he is a very big man, but he's like a teddy bear. So, mm-hmm. if, yes, he can yell and scream just for fun. But, you know, if you ask him, you know, nicely, he, you, you, you feel like he's just like a big cuddly bear. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he actually performed uh, a Broadway show. <laughs> Shakespeare in the park right. um, and uh, was in like the devil costume and he came out and Raul Julia was the, uh, you know, the knight in shining armor kind of uh, mm. uh, position. Yeah. Right. Well, he has very rich life. Yes. Right? Yeah. You go from sumo wrestler to Broadway, mm. off Broadway. But, uh, you know. Well, but, uh, you know, the Shakespeare in the park, that means something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. Um, so when you lived in Japan, mm-hmm. You know, so you said you you were there like uh, two to twelve. 12. Yes. So how was your life? Like you know, you completely New Yorker, and but you speak perfect Japanese. And how you know? To me, my question: You really spent ten years, which is very sensitive time of a year, like two mm-hmm. to twelve. How did you? Well, how do you see Japan now? And do you see yourself as a Japanese? Hmm. Absolutely. Um. You know, I'm, my pride of Japan definitely shines through my love for the arts, for the beverages, sake, um, and everything Japan. I mean, whether it's food, whether it's the culture. Um, my upbringing was, earlier years were in uh, international school. Mm. And then I had moved into Japanese school. And that was really, I'd have to say, the, the, the peak of my 
falling in love with Japan.、Mm. Um, the Japanese school system was so amazing. From, I mean, one, I was really happy that our textbooks got really small. <laughs> right? I was like, I don't have to lug around all these huge books.、Uh, two was that I learned like three times as much from this smaller book than this big, thick book that I was in international school.、Um, but it was actually the food. That I truly enjoyed.、Mm, uh, the school lunches. Yes, the school lunches. The school lunches were so tasty and、mm. so delicious. That's、um, funny because we had a couple <laughs> episodes about Japanese school lunches. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the system is perfect, but you know, I knew the taste is so good. I'm so glad <laughs> to hear the quality is so good. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I still kind of like dream about how I enjoyed the food so much.、Mm. Um, you know, it was a.、Uh, A group effort where we had to help the you know, cafeteria ladies make the food, bring the food to the classroom, distribute the food, clean up after it, wash the dishes. And it, it created this respect for the kitchen that I, well, I, I wouldn't say that I didn't have, but it really honed in on it.、Mm. Um, and then it just tasted amazing, you know. And, We got into the ingredients, we got into you know, what we're using and why we're using it. And I mean, I didn't, I, I still never got that from the American、uh, education program.、Mm. Um, and I wish they would have it because it, it does tie you into your community.、Mm. Because all these ingredients came from somewhere. Someone had to help make it, produce it,、uh, package it, deliver it, whatever it may be. It, it just puts a point of view and a point of respect、mm. for all of those products that、right. it took to enjoy a single bite of、mm. food. Also,、um, you know, you are in charge of serving in turn, right? Yes, yes. So, and also, you clean up、uh, the whole classroom、yes. after. We mop, sweep, vacuum,、uh, get on our hands and knees, and with a rag,、mm. you know, run around and scrub the floors. Right.、Um, You know, you get to a point of really respecting、mm-hmm. everything around you. Right. And、yeah. then once you're in charge, you're in the position to actually do the work, you start to feel like, you know, whoever is going to clean it, I have to make it easier for this person. That、right. kind of mindset really、yeah. is grown in Japanese school systems. Yes.、Yeah, yeah. Right. So,、uh, so, so, so you went to the Nichonsho school, but in, in Japan, you are completely like Japanese kid, one of the Japanese kids. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in the Japanese school system, In the, in the international school system, I went to school with so many half Japanese. So I was half Japanese, half American, but my descendant, why, you know, my mother's side's descendants were from Europe.、Um, and I mean, it's a whole hodgepodge. I mean, we have Spaniard, British, Polish, and German.、Mm. So it's a whole mosh of the stuff. <laughs>、um, but I went to school with half French, half Japanese kids, half. Uh, Swedish, half Japanese kids,、mm-hmm. half Filipino, half Japanese. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing to really、um, see this kind of mix of、mm. Japanese and the rest of the world.、Right. Um, so I, I still stay in touch with them、uh, through you know, Facebook and Instagram. And when I go back to Japan, we get to meet up and、mm. just see where their lives are. So、that's a beautiful thing. So that's a luxury, right? Because、uh, it's like、uh, without being in New York City, you are in New York City. Yes. But <laughs> Japanese kids, like, 
you know, <laughs> I did my 23andMe, the DNA oh, test. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was excited that I may have some secret DNA, <laughs> but then it's like totally 95% Japanese. Oh. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> yeah. And it's like 1% unknown. I don't uh, know what no, it is. <laughs> no. well, that at least there's some kind of Pandora's box there. It's 1%. <laughs> like, I'm like alien. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyways, uh, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about Jesse's... Um, Uh, sake programs and uh, his uh, restaurants in Sag Harbor. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table. Be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back.、Uh, you're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Ryunosuke Jesse Matsuoka, who is a c o r n e r and a GM of Sen Japanese restaurant in Sag Harbor, Long Island, and a certified sake sommelier. And Jesse's father was a top ranked sumo wrestler, and his mother was an artist well known for her paintings and drawings on sumo wrestlers and kabuki, and all those Japanese traditional performings. So,、um, so, we've been talking about many things about your father, and I'm going to talk about your restaurants in a minute. But I, you told me something funny, amazing thing about Kimbari. So,、yes. what is Kimbari? So, Kimbari is a very old style of acupuncture where instead of just a single needle that stays kind of on the top of your skin, they use a gold. Needle that they will insert through the muscle and leave inside your body forever. <laughs>、um, it's, a, it's a rare style, and therefore, there's only a handful of people that are actually、uh, doing this practice. I think there's maybe three, maybe two people、mm. left、uh, in the world that are doing this. And、um, my father has about 2,000 gold needles throughout、mm. his whole body.、Um, At one point, he did convince my mother、uh, to, to do this practice. And I think she got up to, I don't remember it being five, so it must have been like three or four hundred pieces、mm. that、uh, she has throughout her body.、Mm. Um, but、uh, it's, it's 
pretty amazing stuff. Wow. So if I did it at 300, I'd be 300 screaming like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, they say it doesn't hurt, but I mean, it, at minimum, it should feel like a splinter. Now, if you had 2,000 splinters all over your body, I think that would be pretty painful. Mm. Yeah. Right. But, uh, well, your father is now 70 years old, but yes. uh, really strong mm-hmm. despite that injury he had. Yes. And um, those needles, actually, I mean, his doctors have his x-ray of his body uh, posted up <laughs> in their office because it's really nothing you ever see, especially in the States. Mm. Um, and it looks like a cobweb. Throughout his whole body. Mm. That's how many needles are kind of just spanded through. And they just become pressure points. So if he has, like, you know, a little bit of a headache, he presses in one area and it ah. activates that needle. Right. So without putting a new needle, you can just press it. Yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so built in acupuncture. Built in acupuncture, yes. Cool. Wow. <laughs> Um, so the acupuncture point, as far as I understand, you know, the, the human body should flow naturally, mm-hmm. like 100%. But is some pressure or stress um, exists, and then that could cause some uh, stagnant flow. Yes. Or no flow. So okay. you can just avoid just, it, just mm. have all those needles. Right. Mm. Um, you know, my father being in sumo, he, his upbringing was very, uh, not strict, but uh, focused in on, you know, work and work and work. Um, so when he retired, you know, he got into the restaurant industry and uh, the repetitiveness of like, let's say, washing rice is very zen-like for him. Mm. And uh, lately in the last couple of years, he's gotten into yoga um, and he goes five days a week. And as a 70-year-old man, I mean, he keeps up and he kind of leads the class of these younger, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-old people. Mm. Um, And it's his dedication to those practices Mm. uh, that has really, you know, kept him so lively. Right. And I'm sure he's still flexible as before. So he's been up with all um, kind of sporty, all this exercise-oriented. Yes. Uh, In his younger years, I mean, he was almost to the point of like bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Um, when he had retired because he just, you know, he, he just wanted to keep up with everything. And uh, there was a couple articles on him of how much he was like bench pressing and, and you know, pressing with his feet and things like that. They, they, people would stop at the gym and watch him work out. Wow. Because it was just so crazy. <laughs> mm. um, there was one time at the restaurant, we had a abandoned car uh, on the property. And... I knew if I moved it just like two feet over, we could get in another car, another mm. space. So I had asked all of my uh, chefs, some of the, the sushi chefs, to help me try and move the car. And my father wasn't there. Um, and we're all struggling trying to move this thing. And my father pulls into the parking lot and he's like, you guys just get out of the way. And he literally got in front of the the car where the, the engine is. Mm. And he lifted the front of the car and stepped over twice and dropped it down. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Every, at that point, I mean, it was, you know, everyone knew how strong my father was. But at that point, nobody messed. I mean, nobody really messed with my father. But right. they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's just a whole new level of respect mm. for that man. <laughs> you say he was a teddy bear, too. But <laughs> he is. He's just a very, very strong teddy bear. Mm. <laughs> wow. So yeah. that was uh, when he was how, how many years old? He was probably 50. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow, but it's uh, well, less than yet, yeah. I think uh, what I've heard is once you build up strong muscle, it doesn't go away easily. So it doesn't go away e- easily, but yes, you still have to keep it up. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. wow. he he notices if he, as he says, namake uh, mono. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, like if he gets lazy, <laughs> then it, he starts to tone down. So he like, all right, now I have to get back up. Wow, yeah. so inspiring. Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, so now let's talk about your restaurant. Yeah. It's uh, in Sag Harbor, Long Island, and uh, how? Where is it located? Like, what kind of? Um, um, you know, like uh, it's in. Uh, it's in the Hamptons, right? Right. So the Hamptons is on the east end of Long Island. Um, we're located kind of in the middle of the Hamptons, you could say, which is north of Bridgehampton. Um, it's east of Southampton and west of East Hampton. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of on the nook, if. At the end of Long Island, you have the South Fork and the North Fork. So we're on the north piece of the South Fork. Mm. So we get the water, we get boats and yachts, mega yachts that uh, come into our harbor and uh, park and come into our restaurant at at Sen. Mm. Um, So my father and uh, his business partner at the time, so there was a gentleman that owned... Superica, which was or is a Mexican restaurant, uh, Jeff Resnick, he got introduced to my father, and then they together uh, acquired Sen Restaurant uh, in '94. Mm. So we are going into our 25th year of service oh, wow. this year. Yes. Congratulations! Yes. So they were the founders of the restaurant, and then my brother and I uh, have kind of bought out. Our father's portion. Mm, right. right. So, um, I mean, of course, Hamptons, it's like, you know, rich people, healthy people. So, that's really the right spot for a Japanese restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, you know, back in 94, you know, it was definitely ahead of its time. Um, Sag Harbor was, and, you know, and for, for many years, it was always kind of like the artist town. Mm. Um, and now it's, I mean, it's a huge booming town. There's lots of new businesses, lots of people acquiring homes and building them into these huge estates. But, uh, yeah, Sac Harbor is, it's really booming now. Mm, cool. So, um, yeah, so the, your father left the catering business and did, started this uh, Sen restaurant. So right. at the catering business did very well. It actually, um, the, the business had dropped off in the crash of 87. Mm. So that's, that's really... Um, the, the end of that catering business. Um, unfortunately, my, my parents had uh, separated at that point. Mm. Um, and that's when I was two and moved to Japan with my mother. Mm. And so my American mother moved to back to Japan. My Japanese father stayed in New York. That's funny, right? Um, and mm. he worked around. He, he wanted to just keep on uh, trying different things. And he worked all throughout uh, the New York State, mm. uh, not only New York City. And ultimately ended up in Sac Harbor mm. uh, because my mother had a house in Bridgehampton. Um, so he was going out there regularly and, and knew of uh, the area. So, you know, Sac Harbor just made sense. Mm. Um, and thankfully so, because, I mean, it's a, it's a great spot. Mm. Uh, at the moment, we're doing renovations on the business uh, because we did acquire, we bought the building a little over 10 years ago. Okay. Um, but the building itself is about 120 years old. Mm. So not only is it in a, a beach town, 
being 120 years old, it's really beat up. Mm. So um, right now we're replacing practically the whole building um, and putting back to putting back the restaurant itself. So it'll be exactly the same, uh, just a bigger space to accommodate more. Mm. So it's it's going to open uh, in April. I, I was hoping for <laughs> late <laughs> April. Um, you know, there's natural delays in, in construction. Right. And uh, at the moment, we're looking at mid-June. Okay. Yes. Right. So have some more time to relax. And yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But 1994, you said the open, open yes. right? Yeah. That was a time, I think, uh, Nobu started to be... Are you famous in Hollywood and all those? It's just the right timing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we were, um, you know... There, were, there was just so much happening. Um, and, you know, being that he was in New York City since, you know, the late 70s, mm. um, you know, he, he had establishment and had a following already. Right. So, so then he moved to um, Nob- Nobu-san, but he moved to New York and opened a Nobu. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, wow. So the timing's always working for your father, I guess. Yes, think. yes. Right. Um, so, um, so he was the chef. Yes. Right. And what kind of uh, food do you serve? So he focused in on the sushi side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the restaurant, in the middle of the restaurant, is a very large sushi bar. Um, that is kind of the focal point of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But uh, the kitchen food has always been um, very, very good. And with the renovations that we're doing right now, we've expanded out the restaurant kitchen to be about three times its original size. Mm. So the sushi bar stays the size that it is because it's very efficient. It's a very big sushi bar. Um, We've just needed to keep up with the kitchen side. Mm. Um, And also our catering. We do a lot of catered events. There's a lot of like beautiful homes out there and people want to show them off. So Mm. we we do a lot of sushi chefs at people's homes and do a whole display of sushi for them, for Mm. their parties. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. You have a really good business. <laughs> it is fantastic. I mean, you know, thankfully with my father, it's usually my father and I that will go to these events and they love to like see him and hear his stories and things like that. Mm. Yeah, you told me that the customers um, include a large part yeah, the your father's fan. Yes, right? absolutely. Mm. And uh, so you have a certified you have you are a certified sake sommelier or kikizakeshi yes. in japan right so um did you take the certification here yes so the certification was through ssi uh sake service institute uh which is under the uh american sake association mm. um and the people that had it sponsored in their location was uh, New York Mutual. Mm. Um, so they have an office in New Jersey where they're uh, doing those classes at the moment. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. So was it hard? <laughs> it was. It was hard in terms of it was a lot of information, but I have such a passion for it. Mm. I enjoyed every single bit of information that I studied. You know, mm. it for a sommelier of wine. It's, it's much more difficult because you need to have that much passion for wine, but you find wine everywhere in the world. So mm. you need to know the geography and the science behind everywhere of the world. Whereas mm. sake, you know, I know specifically everything about Japan. Mm. I already had a passion for Japan, but to get really in-depth into it, into the science of it, uh, into the geography of it, into the history of it, it was 
kind of a no-brainer for me to to want to learn that information. Mm. Um, obviously, my next step is to go into the wine world um, and even the shochu world, mm. which right. I think they're starting the certification mm. for uh, shochu as well. Right. Yeah, so this, uh, the SSI is Nihonshu Service Kenkyu guys, like a shoshu kenkyu. It's like a whole Japanese um, kind of umbrella association. Yes. Right. Yes. So that's the parent yes. organization. And they started, I think, certification in 1991. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I hope uh, listeners take that certification exams yeah. and then, yeah. Absolutely. We, um, I have some of my employees uh, that I do daily trainings at the restaurant uh, with the staff, whether it's cracking open bottles of sake, talking to them about uh, the product itself or the history behind it. I go to the breweries in Japan. So I'll give them as much information as possible. And one of the, the things that really touches me is that. You know, I've got to inspire my staff, and some of my staff are inspiring to be sake sommeliers now.、Mm. So they're going to take the、uh, sake certification, and it's, it's just it's so beautiful to, to know that we're spreading that knowledge and, and、mm. really inspiring the sake culture. Right.、Yeah. That's great because the knowledge, I think, that all alcohol beverages, you need some、uh, personal commitment. You, you're so inspired by whoever. Pouring it. Yes. So that's wonderful.、Um, okay. And、uh, so, what's your mission as、uh, the certified sake sommelier?、Uh, to take over the world? Oh, no. I'm <laughs> sorry. That was my, my personal goal. Okay. Yes. So,、uh, for sake to take over the world,、um, you know, wine has definitely had its uh, uh, time, you know.、Uh, And I think it's time for sake to really showcase itself.、Uh, I feel that people, especially in New York, New York City, have really grown to understand this beverage.、Mm. And I can't wait for it to be in every menu. Or at minimum, every menu that has wine on it should have sake on it.、Mm. You know, if I get to that point, that would be extremely satisfying for me.、Mm. Right.、Um- How do you see the trend of sake? Like, you know, Long Island, it's not like in New York City. Around the corner, there's always a Japanese restaurant. But do you see increased,、um, increasing demand for sake in Long Island?、Uh, yes.、Uh, the biggest thing over the years, I'm out in what you call like the boondocks of Long Island.、Uh, we are getting a lot of people that inquire about sake.、Mm. I'm getting a lot of requests from wine retailers. Wine shops to help with their sake program because now they are getting asked by their customers, Do you have sake?、Mm. Or, or what kind of sake do you have? And these wine store owners don't have the answers. So、mm. I'm helping them, at least in this small community,、uh, give them the information so that they can not only sell the product, but inspire people to really enjoy it and try things、mm. because it is intimidating.、Um, You know, the Japanese sake that's coming over from Japan, sometimes the labels are not translated. So it's all in Japanese characters and it's hard to understand.、Mm. So that's, that's something that I think we want to break down those layers so that it's less intimidating and therefore more approachable just to try it out. Because once you try it, most of the time、mm. you'll really enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And also, it's in- interesting how diverse, or、well, it's like, a, you know, rice based. Beverage can taste so differently. Yes. So,、awesome. yeah, it's a、uh, yeah, 
You're an ambassador. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I want to be able to kind of showcase it. But I, one nice thing that's happening right now uh, is that there's sake breweries opening up all around the place. Mm. There's two sake breweries in Brooklyn right. opening now, or they're, they're actually producing right now. Mm. Uh, there's a third one uh, opening up um, upstate. Okay. Uh, by uh, CIA. That's science, CIA. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I know Brooklyn Cola. That's, they came here and talked about there. Yes, yes. Right? But uh, what's the second one? Is uh, Sake Brooklyn. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they, they just have a very small showroom mm. uh, at the moment. Mm. And um, they're, they're going to be getting going soon. Mm. But uh, it's very, very exciting um, to be able to have a domestic product. And both of them are passionate Uh, inspired and I got to taste b- both of their products and they're great mm. you know and it's it's wonderful to have this kind of product that not only will break down yet another layer for people to to try the product right that intimidation factor mm. is then broken away because they're like oh it's from Brooklyn right. oh cool yeah I'll definitely try it I can read it you know <laughs> So they're willing to try that product, which is just a beautiful thing. Mm, wow, that's exciting. Very, very exciting. Right. You'll be able to try those products at Sen this summer. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, <laughs> right. All right. So I haven't been to online for a long time, so I will see you yes, <laughs> this please. summer. Um, okay, so what's your plan for the future? My plan for the future? I think before, yes, I had mentioned uh, taking over the world was definitely mm. one of them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, keep me posted. Yes, yes. <laughs> one Uh, sake cup at a time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, restaurants, hospitality industry is my passion. My brother has a、uh, consulting company, a managing company.、Uh, Season Hospitality is his company that are, are helping to turn over different restaurants that、uh, are just looking to just open or change over management.、Um, that's really fun for me. You know, I've grown up in this. Restaurant world,、mm. I don't think I would leave it.、Um, the sake world might be my next thing to, to you know, get into and help make sake and help promote it and do whatever it takes for sake to really be the forefront of everyone's、uh, beverage choice.、Mm. Um, so, whatever that journey takes me,、um, I'm, I'm go for it. Mm, wow, sounds like your magnet of fun things. <laughs> yes, it, it just happens to be fun things, you know, but、uh, I, I love it.、Mm. It brings me, you know, it brought me to Japan、uh, last month where I went to go and visit some、uh, sake breweries. We did、uh, sake events,、um, and I got to meet a lot of、uh, sake ambassadors from、uh, New York in Japan, and we went out to sake bars.、Wow. You know, it was just a beautiful thing for. Uh, this industry and this community to come together,、mm. um, whether we're in New York, America, or Japan, or maybe we'll be in Dubai, you know,、right. uh, trying sake from there.、Mm. You well, never know. Definitely, you're a strong force of that building community. So, <laughs> yeah, good luck. Thank you. And、uh, where can we find your update? So, I can be,、um, I mean, a lot of my updates are through Facebook and Instagram, through my restaurant. So, Uh, Sensac Harbor is our restaurant、um, hashtag and, and Facebook page.、Uh, personally, you'll find me through my name, Ryunosuke Jesse Matsuoka.、Um, By the way, that's a so cool. <laughs> that's a cool name. <laughs> yes. And, and my, my mother gave me the name, which、uh, she didn't realize was like a samurai name. 
Mm. Um, she just she heard it somewhere and loved it. Um, it must have been through the kabuki world ah, that right. she she heard it. Mm. Um, but yeah, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you'll you'll see all of my journeys, whether it's sake, whether it's food. Uh, or just uh, snowboarding on the Japanese Alps. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So thank you for joining us today, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. Well, so hopefully you can come back. Yes. All right. Uh, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or uh, suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at uh, japanese.heritageradionetwork.org. And Japanese is uh, live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at the Heritage Radio Network, the org, iTunes and Stitcher, uh, Spotify as a podcast. Um, and our engineer today is David Tassiore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.